Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories episode number 60. Yes, we've reached another round of double digits, which is kind of cool since I only really started this about two, maybe two and a half years ago. I've been meeting a lot of people either in person at shows or via the web or email that um, you know are discovering these and enjoying them, and I really appreciate the feedback and, and people thanking me for the time put in on these, and I really appreciate all that. And uh, thanks also goes out to the artists who give me their time to sit down and let me kind of pick their brain and make them talk about themselves, which not everybody wants to do. So if you're new to songs and stories or you've been listening for a while, thanks. Um, I know it's um, spring and summer now because the rain seems to be gone, the weather's warming up here on the West Coast, and um, well, besides the the allergy season, which is in full bloom, which is always kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of people are having new CDs come out. And in the next few episodes of Songs and Stories, we're going to focus on artists um, and their new CDs. Uh, in a couple of weeks or maybe a month from now, I'll be talking to uh, Stevie Coyo, who Bay Area audiences know from the Waybacks and the Frontmen. He has a new album out called uh, 10 in 1. We'll be talking to Stevie in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking with Casey Jones, Nashville kind of comedy songwriter Casey Jones. But today we're going to talk to uh, one of my Bay Area favorites, Jay Howlett. Now, Bay Area audiences know Jay Howlett as part of the, the songwriting collective known as Blah Blah Woof Woof, which includes Jay, uh, Chuck McCabe, who's also a favorite of mine, uh, Steve Kritzer, and Rolf Wire. They kind of perform under the banner Blah Blah Woof Woof. They also perform solo shows depending who's available and kind of where they're going. And I was going to say a lot about Jay, but really everything that I wanted to talk about is intro material. Jay and I talked about Around My Kitchen Table, which we're going to hear in a few minutes. So I think what I'll do is let you know that Jay's finishing his third official release called Carnival Lights. And in talking to him, I discovered that, uh, you know, a lot of people record 10, 12, maybe 14 songs and pick the ones for their CD. Jay's kind of taking a different approach and he's been recording kind of on a roll, and he has enough material for really probably a couple of CDs, which is kind of unusual to do that all at once. And we'll talk to Jay about that. I want to let you know that locally he'll be doing a pre-release party at the Canyon Acoustic Society on Saturday, May 23rd. And if you want to find out more about that, you can send an email to, let me see here, canyonguitars, C-A-N-Y-O-N guitars, at hotmail.com. It's a Kenyan Acoustic Society house concert, which includes dinner uh, and a show from Jay. And Jay's actually performing with Rolf Wire on bass and a keyboard player, which would be kind of cool. If I wasn't going up to the Strawberry Music Festival in a couple of weeks, I'd be going too. But Jay has a lot of shows lined up. Um, you can find out more about him at blahblahwolfwolf.com and click on Jay Hallett. Or you can go to my site, michaelgaither.com, and click on the section for Songs and Stories 60 and 61, because this is a two-part interview and find out more about Jay and where he's playing. So I think we'll get right to it. Um, before we hear Jay talk about the new release, let's hear a bit of his last CD. This is the title track called American Ghost Town. We'll play some of that and then we'll talk to Jay Hallett around my kitchen table about Carnival Lights, uh, how he became a Breedlove guitar dealer and his preoccupation with strange uses of capos and we'll talk about, we'll find out more about that in a little bit. Here's Jay. 
This town was built on silver It doesn't glitter anymore There's a hundred miles of tunnels Where they've taken down the ore They call it Silver City But the silver's gone Out of 60,000 people Most have all moved on play and record so now we're recording okay so great. i'm sitting here with jay howlett at my kitchen table this is the kitchen table from all the famous podcasts that's great yeah um we started talking about cds and we started yakking then i realized i wasn't recording any of this great stuff so let's just back up a little bit so i've known you for a long time now and i've loved your music and all i really know is you're part of blah 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 woof. you you write great songs you so breed love guitars but i don't know anything about your musical background so why don't we just uh, yeah, it's funny because I Your was... Your online bio was very succinct, meaning it's about three paragraphs. I try to keep things short, like I keep my songs short, uh -huh, you, know, okay. you know, get in, get out, you know, yeah. and hopefully you'll be ahead. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if I'm slamming that or not, but, um, about me, I'm self-taught, mm -hmm. I'm not a very good teacher, and so I've just sort of, uh, learned how to play and learned how to write, and mm -hmm. as I got going with it, I would occasionally do workshops and things and try to expand and hone my skills and certainly hanging out with the folks at blah blah woof woof has mm -hmm. certainly guided me well because yes. uh chuck and rolf and steve are very good writers and for the uh, the songs and stories listeners who might not be barrier based or organ based or know what is blah blah woof woof blah blah woof woof is a songwriter cooperative okay. we sort of pool our resources so that we can market our music under a common label and that way we can share marketing expenses, share advertising expenses, make us appear to be larger than we actually are. <laughs> this huge entity of the Blah Blah Woof Woof experience. And it's funny because Blah Blah Woof Woof is a known brand. I talk to people all over the country mm -hmm. and uh, they might not remember Jay Howlett. But they remember blah, blah, woof, woof. And it rolls so off the tongue. It does. And they sort of say, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, so that part is very good. It sort of gives you sort of a, let you part of something larger when actually. Plus, you guys have T-shirts and stickers and tattoos. Right. The, the temporary tattoos are big. Yeah. I took some to Reading when I played up there in the past. Because you gave me a pile of them. I just bought a thousand of these. So I gave some to my friend Lou and some of the people at the post office. They were like, yeah. oh, cool. I think there were actually like 5,000 of them. Yeah. I mean, it was just, but, you know, they go fast. You put yeah. them out on a table and they're gone. So People love free stuff. So um, I started playing... A homemade electric guitar that my brother built that mm -hmm. wasn't particularly good at about 13 and then I just it wasn't very good so I didn't play it mm -hmm. and then um, I came out to California I started to play again and my sister had an old nylon string guitar that mm -hmm. I played for a while and then put steel strings on it and ruined it but and I just sort of started first writing songs in high school mm -hmm. and some of them were marginal mm -hmm. but you know there were songs that a high school kid would write sure and you got to start somewhere you got to start somewhere and then uh, i 
got involved in theater and got my college degree in Your degree's theater. in theater, correct? Yes. That was in your three-paragraph your three paragraph yes. bio. That much I got. Okay. And um, that works very well with performance. It helps me a lot with, with uh, performance. Um, my minor's in theaters. So yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So, I mean, I sort of think I'm, you know, I'm a marginal player, but I'm a pretty good performer. Mm -hmm. And um, so that balances it out. I have the ability to make people think I'm doing a lot more than I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's entertain. It's to entertain. Well, I think, too, um, especially... You know, blah blah blah. You're, you're, there's several of you, and all. You know, the nice thing is you get to perform with guys like Chuck McCabe and Steve Kritzer and, and Rolf, and you know, no slouches any of them. So no. you know, you no. play with good people, you look better. Absolutely. You know, you know, you all help each other out. But I think um, if you're going, you, you make several runs up to you know Reading, Oregon, kind of that route. If you're playing by yourself or as a duo, I think you know, depending on the kind of music you're doing, I mean. When you see these these real craftsman type guitar players, that's important. But I think, for me, just being entertained and watching a good I, I I think I appreciate a good performer more than a good guitar player. You know, I tend to agree. But that's just me. And but it also has to do with storytelling. Right. I sort of consider myself a storyteller in mm -hmm. what I do, right. and uh, I think if you craft a good story. Mm -hmm. And that can include the introduction to the song as well as the song. Yeah, uh, I think that helps a lot. Do you ever do cases where the the intro is longer than the song? Absolutely. <laughs> God bless you. I've it's got, not just me. Okay. I've got a song called "Orange Coveralls," which is about a three minute song, but it's got a seven minute introduction. <laughs> I know because I've recorded the introduction. Mm -hmm. So, That's funny. and. Um, the story about Studebaker Goldenhawk is longer than the uh, song. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. You can get into very long stories. Mm -hmm. So um, I like to say, you know, that there's enough uh, truth in my stories to make the lies believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was my question? Um, so influences, I mean, was... Dylan early influence. Dylan's always the answer to everything, but who, you know, Dylan. Who did you listen to? Dylan was not a big influence mm -hmm. on me at first. Actually, what I find is people either say Dylan or Joni Mitchell. I don't know. Why, right? And you know, that's pretty standard stuff. My right. earliest influence. I grew up in a in a family with uh, three brothers. No, two brothers and a sister. And uh, you know, my sister was into Pat Boone, and my. Oldest brother was into Buddy Holly, and mm -hmm. then my uh, next closest brother was into, you know, Bob Dylan, Peter, Paul, and Mary, mm -hmm. and, you know, did his best to, like, you know, destroy the albums that I would bring home because they were so evil. Uh, the first album I, I bought was High Tide and Green Grass by the Rolling Stones, <laughs> and uh, quickly followed by The Best of the Animals. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, California Dreamin', wow. which is one that my brother actually broke because it was so evil. Why was it evil? Because uh, yeah, he stopped into a church and, and you know, he it was very to play. It was very Pat Boone? Yeah, and so um, that, that was an ongoing thing. Um, well, see, now Pat Boone's hanging out with Alice Cooper, so everything comes around eventually. Everything comes around, you know. Mm -hmm. what, you know, Alice Cooper's playing golf, so it all just kind of levels out of the end. It's very scary. Yeah. It's very scary, <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, yeah. Mm. So my earliest influences were probably Jim Croce, 
Um, okay. A great story to tell. I could say storytelling songs. Yeah. Right? Um, Cat Stevens, mm-hmm. um, Van Morrison. Um, those three come to mind a lot. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it some because I've been doing liner notes for the CD. So I've been trying it to... It makes you think, what am I going to type and tell people in, in, in three paragraphs in my right. CD? Right. You know, so... Uh, and then, you know, after I stopped playing in the mid-70s, I stopped playing for about 12 years. Hmm. So when I got back into it, it was the early 90s and somebody turned me on to... Uh, Jack's Crows by John Gorka. And I, mm. I kind of went, oh, okay. There is some good music happening out there. You know, maybe this is something to look into. It was just kind of under the radar a little bit. And by then, my kids had pretty much grown, mm-hmm. and uh, I was ready to have time on, on my own. So mm-hmm. I started listening to John Gorka and uh, Cliff Eberhardt and Patty Larkin and Cheryl Wheeler. Um, and uh, really admired what they were uh, doing, and it sort of got me back into the writing mm-hmm. again. Good. And then, you know, started back out doing the open mics, and, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, and that was all Bay Area-based at that time? Yeah. Bay Area-based, and, you know, the, the, the Freight and Salvage had some pretty good folks hanging around mm-hmm. at it at the time. Nikki Lehman was playing there at the open mic. Mm-hmm. Chuck Brodsky was at that, that open mic, so... That was it, back in his Bay Area. Yeah, years, probably. so yeah. That, that was a pretty good, you know, way to get back into the scene. Mm-hmm. And um, then I just uh, started to uh, write and uh, get a CD in 96 that I don't share with anybody anymore. <laughs> and then did one in 98 mm-hmm. and one in 2003. Yeah. So, so the new one, Carnival Lights, is officially your fourth? But... It is officially the fourth, yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the third oh, one you can get. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's correct. I've I've actually traded current CDs for folks that were willing to part with the old one to, <laughs> to try to get them back. <laughs> or you can find them on eBay. You know. um, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. So, got to start somewhere. So we were talking earlier before I decided to hit record. Because I was into the conversation, but you and I were talking, I don't know, it was a year and a year and a half, and you were talking about this new project, but you were thinking about doing a couple of CDs at once, and you're kind of sort of doing that. I'm doing that. I've got 25 tracks right now in the studio that I'm working on. In different states? In different states. And um, because I find that it's a whole different process for me, and I can see that once I'm out of the studio... It takes a long time to get me back into the studio. So I figure I would get a head start on a couple of projects, mm-hmm. and that way I can, you know, release one this year, release one next year, and release one. Oh, that's smart. The, 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 the next year, because I've got the material. Mm-hmm. At least I think I do. Whether mm-hmm. or not the world does, I don't know. The world will tell you if you. The do. world I'm will sure tell you me. Do. I'm sure you do. And so I've heard some of these. I'm sure you did. So it's been sort of fun doing that and thinking and okay, what's going on? What album? Well, what am I going to finish first? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's actually in the last week turned out to be a little bit of an issue because uh, of various concepts and 
ways that we think we can market things. And Is it a matter of what songs will go on which produced piece? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, was, it was going to be, the first one was going to be Carnival Lights, mm -hmm. and then uh, my graphic designer wife, uh, marketing person, she got her start in advertising, mm -hmm. um, sort of got her... Um, brain focused on If I Had an Angel, which is a, a song that I've written that, mm -hmm. that, that folks like. And um, angels are big right now. It's easy to market angels. Mm -hmm. So she was thinking that, oh, well, why don't we go with uh, that and we can market the whole concept of If I Had an Angel. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's fine, but other songs that would go on that aren't done, aren't done yet. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I have to rearrange in my head. You've heard some some of the mm -hmm. tracks. Some of them are out there a little bit for me, mm -hmm. and so um, I think there's a compromise there. Though I think what's going to happen is I'll take if I had an angel off of uh, the carnival lights. Leave it for it for its own scene. They leave it for its own scene. And probably if you if you find because I've done I'm only two of these, but if you find I think a good title track or a good a song that works as a good concept, you kind of want to save that for its own... Yeah. yeah. Or if it's a song that everybody wants. That too. You know, it, that's always good to have on a CD. So Because you uh, do want to sell these at some point. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, there's only so much storage space we have right, in, exactly. uh, in, in the garage. So. Yeah. And, and I've done okay. I'm, I'm in the black on my C CDs. So, good. you know, I don't... I don't feel... Unlucky at all. Mm -hmm. I, I feel blessed that I can actually do this and have them actually sustain make money. itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the idea of um, you know particular songs on a particular CD or record. Now people have told me we have enough songs for a couple of more CDs, and I said, yeah, but they have to fit. You know, I've got a lot of songs, but I, I don't just want to take ten random or twelve random songs or eleven random songs in a cover and just do a CD. They got to fit. Like my new one was kind of pretty much autobiographical and they all mm. fit I'm sure Carnival Lights has is there a thread to it there's not the as, songs just there's to work not together? as much as like in American Ghost Town which yeah. which did have sort of Your a second theme. official release yeah um, it's it's got a couple songs on it I had a couple more that would have fit mm -hmm. but I really didn't like the songs yet and That's they important. needed more cooking so yeah. I didn't want to rush them. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's mostly, I, I sort of like the invocative nature of uh, both the song and the, the title. And it's loosely about how we can get easily distracted by shiny, sparkling, mm. lit up objects and we lose track of what we should be watching because there's glitter over there that keeps on attracting us. So... We're, we're not looking where we're supposed to be looking. See, I haven't heard this song, so this is so. interesting. So, so when's, your, when's your estimated release for this? The release was supposed to be uh, May 23rd. And it looks, in time for the CD release concert at the Canyon Acoustic Society. That is correct. This yeah, is not going to be a Jay Hallett concert. It's going to be a, um, a prelude. Okay. And we'll be playing the tracks off the CD. Oh, good. But um, the CD will be available in, in voucher form. Oh, good. You can do pre-sales. Yeah. Good. And um, so we'll, uh, we'll both figure out a way to make that work. Because I just... 
you don't want to rush the final things because mm -hmm. I'll be listening to it a long time and, and where other folks won't hear things, I'll hear everything that I don't like. Yeah. So probably be an additional two weeks out. I'm okay. hoping by maybe June 10th. Yeah. So it's soon. So, yeah, it's, it's soon. soon. Uh, we're sort of mixing, mastering on the fly and mm -hmm. uh, it's sounding fairly good. good. Russ is doing a great job. Good. And since we're going to miss your, your, your pre-release party, we'll be able to go to a, a, an official an, release party. An I mean, official release Because you had to book a concert on Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> 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 but I'm sure you'll be playing a lot once you get these things done, so we'll, we'll get a chance to see it. Yeah. Um, the thing about releasing a CD is that you end up going back out on the road a lot, and mm -hmm. you, you try to quickly recover some of the capital that you've uh, burned through when yes. you record it. So. What, did, what did Chuck McCabe tell me? He goes, the money gushes out and it trickles back in. That's, and that's <laughs> correct. So, And I expect that to happen here. Yeah. And uh, it's the nature of the beast. But mm -hmm. it's also a blessing because I've got complete control of what, what I want to do. That's important. And um, and you get to record your at songs. At least I tell take, myself that. Yeah, it's a blessing. <laughs> I'm sure it's a blessing at some point. You know, I don't think it's a, But yeah, and you get to record your songs, take them out to people. They like them. They can take them home. And that's, that's a mm -hmm. beautiful thing. Yeah, most most of my sales come from live performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sell on online, and it does okay. Mm -hmm. But really, it comes from that personal contact. Yeah, and I think the nature of one because, and I've said this before in, the, in, the, in these interviews, but the, the the really nice thing about the internet is you can you can it's easy to put your stuff up on the internet, like millions of other people can, you know, and it's you, it's really hard to see. you find people you like, but there's so much out there, and and I've been at this for really seriously for like three years, and I just find that I have the most success playing to people live, and they want to take it home. You, there's some online sales, and but people that and as a as a fan too, I think when I go see songwriters live is when I tend to pick up things. Yeah, and my experience has been, there have been some online places where I've done well, but it also involves sort of interacting with the community there. It's almost like playing live, like right. Whole Wheat Radio up in Talkeetna. Yep. Uh, you know, if you get online there and you chat folks up and folks get to know you, they request your songs, they play them, they buy your CD. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a weird social networking and it's a wiki. I'm on there too. It's a whole wheat radio is a wiki, so you can actually go and create a profile and you, you request songs when you log in, and they'll play them, and you can contact the artist. But from the artist's point, it's a little bit of work. It's it's, it's really it gratifying to actually work. contact people remotely that actually really want to hear your stuff. But it's a little bit of work. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot to uh, do, but it, it cultivates a broader community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only way an independent artist can be successful is to somehow involve a larger community. Yeah. And uh, you, you find places that are hotbeds for you and you tend to go there and then you, you branch out. You find a new market to go through and really sort of conquer so you haven't made millions of dollars just being on MySpace, like all the stories say? Um, no, <laughs> I do very little on MySpace. Okay. I do enough to have a profile there, but and it's sort of like Facebook. I yeah. reconnected with a lot of people on Facebook, but I reject all of the uh, random you know, ads from people you don't know that, and you know the the flower requests and. Rec 
quest to play Mafia Wars and all of these other things. And I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you in advance for never sending me a a thirsty monkey or a bouquet of virtual (laughs) flowers on Facebook. Well, and, and hopefully I will never be so bored that I will do that. My wife, Cindy, got on there because a friend of hers wanted to show her a picture. She goes, what's Facebook? And I go, well, just... And, I, and she got on there and next thing she's asking me, what's a super poke? <laughs> I, I got super poke. I go, ignore it. I go, let me log on and I can disable all that stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is funny. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. You know, there are so many things that take up so much time when you're an independent artist. The and some of stuff, I think, like, like the Facebook thing, it, it could be nice to actually, re- you can reach people that are actually interested in what you're doing, but there's a lot of noise there too. Yes. Yeah. And it, well, it's just like there's a lot of noise with the amount of CDs that are released mm-hmm. each year, either home-brewed, self-produced, recorded in the bedroom and released on a CDR. Yeah. You know, people can't, Often just looking at a page, know what it is that they're Quality getting, or what they're getting. Yeah. So, it, but if you go to see somebody live, you have a pretty good idea what you're getting. Yeah. As far as the song quality, anyway. Yeah, and then sort of people ask me, well, what's the closest to what you do live? And so, you know, I have to make some sort of arbitrary decision as to what's the um, most underproduced. Product That's that a I really have. good. I wanted to bring this up too because this is before I hit the record button. Too, we were talking about, you know, when you're in the studio, you have the ability to really give your songs a full band sound, or bring in instrumentation you normally wouldn't be able to play with, or bring in things you can't afford to take on the road, like a full band. But right. there's also the the alternative, so you can do something nice and big. But sometimes people want to take home kind of what they heard. So the alternative to doing something live and solo is doing something kind of underproduced and I guess as an artist you just have to decide which project or which songs I guess were served best by that. Yeah, and it's very it's hard. It's a big decision. It's yeah. very hard and I think what I'll probably end up doing at some point is recording with a small band a live mm-hmm. sort of uh, I'd like to say greatest hits but that would be a misnomer so mm-hmm. it would be a greatest min misses probably yeah. songs Jay, <laughs> songs that jay plays most or right um yeah and i think that would be a fun project i normally as a listener don't like live albums mm-hmm. because there's too much distraction i hate the uh applause at the end of mm-hmm. a live album it's, i like the song to end uh, i don't mind that it's live but i don't need to hear the accolades. Yeah, yeah. And so I will probably try to make mine so there are no accolades in uh, the uh, background. The other alternative is live in the studio. Yeah, that's a nice feel too. So, so I'll be hearing your live CD and I'll think, wow, nobody's applauding when Jay finishes. Nobody likes these songs. <laughs> Nobody likes these songs. <laughs> yeah, so I'll probably have to put a disclaimer on yeah. the uh, on the cover. <laughs> All clapping removed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a no clap uh, CD. Yeah. And I, I do like the live in the studio kind of thing. Cause we were talking about practices, and I've done a couple here with, with our, little, our little band. And I just recorded a couple of things. We were doing acoustic without being plugged in, and it had a really nice. It, sound, it had a really nice groove to it. And that's something you could do too to kind of just strip your songs down and redo them. And it wouldn't be. I think it wouldn't be, I don't want to use the word cost, but it wouldn't be as intense as doing a full project with multiple tracks. You could do something kind of live and simple and 
Yeah. yeah. And you could like practice before you go into the studio and stuff. That would be a good idea. Yeah. It, it helps yeah. a bit, actually. But I'm playing more now with both uh, Rolf Wire, who plays bass and can play g- 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 the guitar. And I've added Patrick Fian, who's a great keyboard player. Oh, nice. So I, I've got a little fuller and sound. And Rolf plays a very good bass. Yes. <laughs> Rolf is a very talented writer, and he uh, plays an excellent guitar as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm lucky that uh, he wants to uh, do this, and we're trying to find ways to do it more. Good. So I think within a year and a half, we'll probably be doing it full time. So when it's just you playing, you just go out and call yourself Blah? Um, <laughs> no, I call myself Jay Howlett. Okay, that's good. And um, we're trying to decide if we want to have a name for the trio or mm-hmm. not. And uh, just it's important that we sort of keep a branding thing going, mm-hmm. but it's also important that we differentiate like when we have blah blah woof woof live, you know who that is, as opposed to who mm-hmm. various portions of blah blah yes. woof woof are. So, do we have blah blah woof woof light? Do we have you know Jay Hallett, a subset, right. a subsidiary <laughs> of blah blah woof woof Incorporated LLC? Right, and it's which wouldn't really fit on a tattoo. No, it I mean, would be a lot. Of and words. I stutter, so I could never get that out. <laughs> <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. No, no. no. So let's talk about speaking of brands. There's a Breedlove guitar over here. Yeah, it seems like you blah blah woof woof folk tend to be fond of Breedloves, and you sell them. So how'd you? Why Breedlove, and kind of how'd you get involved with Breedlove guitars? I got involved with Breedlove guitars in 1993. So it goes I, back quite a ways. Yeah, when I got a set of uh, quilted mahogany from the tree, oh, okay. and at that point I was playing a Santa Cruz OM, which I still own and mm-hmm. still love. And um, I wanted a guitar built out of this wood. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent Santa Cruz a note, and I didn't hear back. So I got the impression that they didn't want to build with somebody else's wood. Mm-hmm. So I, can't, uh, I had uh, just bought a Breedlove concert, thin-bodied, loved it, loved what it sounded like. So I called them, and they said, yeah, send it up, we'll build it for you. Mm. And uh, so I, I got my first Breedlove in, in 93 uh-huh. and um, actually sold my first Breedlove. And it's still owned to this day by Ellen Silva, who is a local singer, songwriter in like the Woodside area. Oh, okay. And so uh, I keep on trying to get it back, but she's not <laughs> partying with it. And um, then we, Chuck and I both made the finals of the Sisters Folk Festival mm-hmm. one year, and Breedlove Guitars is real close to there, right. so I went up and did the tour through there, and uh, uh, okay. um, and he actually won the Sisters Folk mm-hmm. Festival that year. I did not. Chuck beat me. But uh, if anybody's going to beat me, uh, Chuck's a good one to do it. And... Um, just continued my association with them through Steve Anderson, who was a manager at a while, and Steve Henderson, who was one of the founders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Chuck got one, and um, then I was up there, and I pulled uh, the one that I've got in that case out, which is out of the quilted mahogany. Mm-hmm. And they said, why are you touring with that guitar? Do you have any idea how much that guitar is worth? Mm-hmm. And my estimate was about half what they told me oh. it was. So they they offered to then 
let let us build you one so you don't have to tour with that one. And hmm. I said, okay, sure, sure. If you insist. I'll t- and um, if you have to give me a guitar, all right. And it it, it it turned turned out that we became endorsing artists, both Chuck and mm-hmm. I, and then soon everybody, and we are now as a as an entity mm-hmm. uh, endorsing artists. And the sales part came is because we'll play on stage and we've got all these great sounding Breedlove guitars. And people want to know where to buy them, and so I'll send them to a dealer, but they'll only have one, or it might be the wrong model. And their goal as a dealer is to not let you leave without a guitar of some kind. So uh, we were sending referrals into music stores, but we weren't generating as many sales as we could because... Um, they didn't have inventory. So yeah, I and if said, someone's watching you guys play a Breedlove guitar, they, they tend to want something that looks, that sounds like what you were playing, and they go to a local store and they've got something different, and it's not quite right. So it seemed like a natural you know, thing to do is to become a dealer at large, but it took about a year to convince mm-hmm. them yeah, really? of, of that, because uh, it's an idea that is foreign to them, and they're always a very aware of their dealer network. Right. You know, if I was playing a gig in Gilroy selling mm-hmm. guitars down there, uh, the guitar gallery might have a little bit of a problem with that because mm-hmm. that's their town and they're a good dealer for, yeah, for a breed lot. That's Rocco's shop. He's a good yeah. Dealer. So, you know, I wouldn't do that in Gilroy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something that, you know, it's, it's a respect for the dealer network. And once mm-hmm. they felt good about that, and uh, they could see the po- po- potential of getting breed loves into markets where they aren't at, um, that it could help them. Yeah. And I think they've expanded it now because they've got two buses touring mm-hmm. the country right now, going to all the towns and cities that don't have breed love dealerships to market their instruments. That's smart. And it's, 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 it's respectful of the, of the local people that are trying to stay in business and, and, and move product and sell yeah. their guitars. So. Yeah. And in your case, it evolved, it kind of just evolved naturally, which yeah. is great. So, uh, and it's been up and down. It's been a tough sell the last, you know, eight months or so. Like trying to, yeah. to sell, you know, a $4,000 guitar is yeah. kind of tough. You know, I've sold uh, some $2,000 ones. And, so if you sell two of those right. and do the math, and you see two plus, yeah. But it doesn't work out that way. I, yeah. I, I've, I've tried that math. So. <laughs> but uh, it's still a way to supplement my income. Sure. And, um, and it's a real honest way to do it. You play these guitars. You like the guitars. Mm-hmm. Look, I have some guitars. Right. Yeah. And, you know, which one do you like the sound of? You like Chuck's? You like Rolf's? You like yeah. Steve's? You like mine? You know, and then you get an idea of what to build for the person that, that wants one. Mm-hmm. Do you tend to order out of out of Breedlove's factory? Or do you tend to have things build custom, or is it kind of, does it really vary on the person? Um, it varies on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a big stash of my own woods that, right. that I use, uh, and it depends on what the person wants. And oftentimes, I can call them up and see if they have any orphans that they haven't committed to a dealer yet and mm-hmm. see if they're interested in uh, those mm-hmm. and that saves them the 12 13 14 16 week wait of you know having a guitar built for them but i find a lot of folks want particular 
things that you know would not be on a stock instrument so it's custom work so sense. it's half and half yeah and it's it's really good with especially when you're doing a whole blah 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 with show you guys are all playing different style breed left so people can really kind of see a, a a nice assortment of what the guitars sound like. So. Yeah, it's a showroom on stage. Yeah. It's, it's kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So they've been very, very good to us. So I have no uh, bad things to say about uh, about Breedlove. And they're based where in Oregon? Uh, they're in Bend now. They okay. were in Tumalo, but they've opened a brand new huge facility in Bend. Nice. nice. So, You want to play that for us? Sure. Let's hear a couple of things. So how's that for a segue? Nice guitar, you want to play it? And he will in part two. Uh, again, that's Jay Hallett with the uh, little talk about the new release, Carnival Lights, which is going to be finished any day now. A couple of points I liked in the interview were, when you're in the studio and you're laying down songs for a CD, you have the ability to bring in lots of other instrumentation you might not if you were playing live. And um, kind of the, the judgment call there is you can make it big, make it different, or you can do what Jake called underproduce it and make it sound very stark and acoustic like you might do more as a solo singer-songwriter live. So you have a choice of doing it, you know, big or closer to what you sound like live. And it's kind of a judgment call, artistic call between the songwriter and the producer. It's always kind of interesting. Another thing I liked was um, the fact that Jay's recording way more than enough for one CD in this, in this current recording run that he's doing. And I've heard this from other performers, too. You, you know, you might go in and do 10, 12, 14 songs and pick out the ones for your CD. But sometimes, you know, if things are going well and you have enough songs, you can just record a whole bunch and kind of get it out of the way and get it done, which is kind of what Jay's doing. So besides Carnival Lights, we might see something next year as well, which would be very cool. Uh, a couple of name-dropping things there. We talked about um, the Freight and Salvage, where Jake sort of started back in the 80s playing. Uh, he mentioned Chuck, Chuck Brodsky. And I interviewed Chuck Brodsky uh, recently for Songs and Stories number 40, 53, number 53. And that's on my site at michaelgather.com. You can get to that interview if you want to listen to a little bit about Chuck Brodsky. And Chuck McCabe, who's part of Blah Blah Wolf Wolf, along with Jay and Steve Kritzer and, and Rolf Wire, I interviewed Chuck last summer for his new release, Creatures of Habit, for Songs and Stories number 37 and 38. That's also on my main page, and you can listen to Chuck and get an idea what he's about, too, if you don't already. And if I can fit in one plug for me, uh, later this summer, if you're setting your calendar for August, I'll be doing a show with Chuck and Bev Barnett and Greg Newland, local songwriters at the Mission City Coffee Roasting Company, on August 21st. Bev and Greg host a series called True Wind Music Acoustic Fridays, and I'll be on the bill with Bev and Greg and Chuck on Friday, August 21st three of my very favorite people in one room on one night. That should be fun. You can find out about that uh, on my shows page at michaelgather.com. Click on shows or go to truewindmusic.com. But so back to Jay. Again, he'll be at the Kenyan Acoustic Society House Concert Series on Saturday, May 23rd. You can find out more about that. Uh, by the way, that's in Aromas, California, if I didn't mention that already. You can find out more about that show by sending an email to Marky at canyonguitars at hotmail.com canyonguitars at hotmail.com uh, Jay will also be doing a lot of Bay Area shows once the CD is done so you can get to that by going to blahblahwolfwolf.com and clicking on Jay Hallett as far as this interview we're not quite done you know how this works that was part one that was Jay talking about kind of who he is making him tell us about himself which as you heard he doesn't like doing now we're going to hear him play a couple of things so to go on to Songs of Story 61 which is part two of this, uh, this interview 
If you're on my webpage at michaelgather.com, click on the little icon for Songs of Story 61. If you're up in iTunes and it's not there already, it'll be up in about a week. And if you're listening to this show on Grateful Dread Radio back in Baltimore, which runs this podcast series as a show on Friday nights, part two will be up next Friday at 7.30 p.m. Thanks for listening. Take care.